Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I feel like we say what I'm about to say a lot throughout the course of a summer, but for some reason this week it feels like football is just a little bit closer. Maybe because college football teams across the country, including those in Mississippi, will start fall camp this week, but we've said that like four times already this year. Either way, it has gotten a little warmer outside, but it does feel like football season. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Richard has the week off, so we're going to actually have some fun on this radio show this week. It is great to be with you. And guys, it's, what, 95 degrees outside. doesn't feel like fall, but this is the week that fall camp begins. So can we now actually really say that football's here? Football is here. It is football This season. counts, right, finally? Yeah. Like, not SEC media days. As fun as that event is, there's no football being done there. So this is actually where it happens. Right. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have. I will watch a team practice football this week. It will happen. So yeah, this this is it's football season. I wish they didn't use fall camp though. Not much. I fall agree with about that. it. <laughs> what would you rather them call it? Summer preseason practice. Camp. Yeah, preseason camp. Preseason Summer practice. Camp. There's nothing fall about what's what we're gonna have to stand out yeah. in uh, this weekend. Just do what the NFL does. Training camp. That's yeah. what it is. It's training camp. Play in a sauna. At least they'll, they'll be conditioned. I don't know. The guys that came in overweight will get a chance to lose some of that before the season begins. Unless you're in the NFL, and in that case, they just send you packing. But more on that in a little bit. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. And uh, you can be a part of the show this afternoon. You can text us on the Seatspire text line, 601-879-4395. But please do not text and drive. Be a part of the show. Do so safely. And you can tweet at us as well, at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. And guys, both of you were out last week. Two very different places, culturally and otherwise. Rippy, you were in L.A., or at least the L.A. area, and Hey Dad was in New Orleans. I don't know how much more different you can get than those two places, but uh, how was your week off? Well, it was fine. It was a lot of fun. I had a good time. I ate really good. Uh, I did not concern myself with diet or exercise while I was on vacation. And uh, the scale proved that when I got back. But uh, I had a good time. I saw a lot of your boy down there, man. Zion Williamson's face. You can't miss him down in the Big Easy these days. Are you allowed to be on a diet in New Orleans? I feel like that's some kind of city ordinance where you're not allowed to I mean, to I don't know that. how you pull it off. You know, I mean, everything is either fried or cooked with a roux. Well, what am I supposed to do? You know, so, so I didn't worry about it. So how long were you down there? All week? Sun, uh, we got there Sunday and, and left on Friday morning. Oh, wow. It's a good long trip. So what did you yeah. do? 
Ah, uh, we went to the zoo, the aquarium, the insectarium, which was a lot of fun. My daughter ate a bug. That was that was fun what to bug? watch. I I did not. She she ate one. So what kind of bug? Uh, it was a it was a chocolate chirp cookie. Man, she ate a, a chocolate chip cricket cookie. Oh, oh, wait a minute. So was like were there crickets in it? Like that looked like chocolate chips, or were yes. they like ground up and baked into it? Yeah, they were. They were chocolate crickets for chips. Oh man, where do you get one of those? At the Insectarium there on Canal Street. You can. Uh, they used to sell crickets at the uh, Mariners Ballpark. Yeah, that is the most Seattle thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Very earthy. So, what else did you? Where did you stay? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, we stayed in. Uh, I don't know what, what district it would be. It was just downtown. We were about two blocks away from uh, from Poydras Street, so not far from the Superdome. Walking distance to uh, to Harrah's, which I went. I hit I hit the Oyster Bar up there one night. Um, did you gamble? I did not gamble. No, no. Can you believe that you can gamble on sports in Mississippi and not Louisiana? Like Louisiana voted against that. The place where you can drive up and buy an alcoholic daiquiri and drive away. You cannot bet on sports, but in Mississippi you can. Explain that to me. I have no explanation at this time. So, but yeah, it was it was, it was a good good place to stay. We weren't you know, we weren't more than twenty minute drive away from anything we wanted to do. So that was fun. Did you do any ghost tours or anything? We did. We did, we did one, and my daughter got scared enough that we had to call it quits. Oh no. Yeah. Did they scare her? Like, were you mad, or was she just no, scared no, no. about that? I, I knew it was coming because she's not, you know, the most brave person in the world. We walked past. It wasn't on our tour though. We walked past another tour, and they were going on about how this person had been tortured or something. And she heard that she was like, "Daddy, I'm out." And I was like, "All right, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> so I found our tour guide. It's like, "Yeah, we're calling it a night, buddy. I'm going to get in a lift and get out of here." So on the other end of the world, Rippy. Los Angeles, or at least the area. What was that like? It was pretty cool. So we were in Newport Beach. Um, Where is that in relation to, like, Hollywood? 35 miles south of L.A. I'm not exactly sure to Hollywood, but it takes, like, 90 minutes to two hours to get into L.A. with traffic and everything. Um, but it was pretty cool. Like, it's cool, like, beach community. Um, sat on the beach a lot. Sat at the pool a lot. Uh, did a lot of sitting. Did a lot like. of doing nothing. I enjoyed doing nothing for a week. Went to two baseball games. Did Dodger Stadium. Did Angel Stadium. As we discussed last Friday, drove a boat. Drove my boat. Um, yeah, it was a pretty good week. Um, it's very different out there. It's very, very scenic. Like driving is like actually aside from the traffic, driving is actually pretty fun. Just because you don't really need windows or anything. Never rains out there. It uh, So it rained one morning when I was driving my buddy off at work, and he got a new car about a week before he we went out there, and we had to figure out how to use the windshield wipers because it did not rain the entire time he was there. Oh, man. So, I, when I was in the Bay Area a couple of years ago, I kept thinking, you know, this state would be incredible if not for the people. <laughs> Between that and Ohio State, man. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't I, – I, most people were like, I mean, I didn't interact with a ton of other people, but they were friendly. It's just different. Like the, uh, I was talking about on the podcast, we went to this restaurant one night and really didn't know if we were underdressed or overdressed. And then we walked in the restaurant and really didn't have a clue. Cause there's such like a wide range of like what people wear out there. There's like, you know, nice button down and slacks all the way to like Hurley t-shirt and board shorts. And you can't figure out which end of the spectrum you're on in terms of like trying to figure out how to dress at a restaurant. My wife and I went shopping in San Francisco and I say shopping. We didn't buy a thing. There was a shirt that she looked at that literally just said sup period, like just white shirt sup. 
$75 in this oh little store in gosh. San Francisco. Hey, I mean, it was packed, That's too. That's a deal. I mean, it probably was like on 50% off sale or something in California, but uh, glad you guys had fun and got to do a little reset before fall camp begins. It's Friday for both, right? So Ole Miss will have their media day on Thursday. Mississippi State's will be on Saturday the 10th, but uh, they report Thursday and practice Friday, both of them. Is that right? That's what it is for State. We're scheduled to talk to Joe Moorhead on Friday after practice. Yep, Ole Miss got media day Thursday, so that's when it kind of gets cranked up, and then they begin practice, I believe, the next morning? Afternoon, maybe? Something like that. So we're starting football, especially this weekend. I mean, we are – it's the 29th. We play football on the 31st, and to be technical, we play football on the 25th, that Saturday with Florida and Miami, which will be the most – Overanalyzed and talked about football game of the entire season, with the exception of the national championship. Seems accurate. I mean, think about that because there's literally nothing else. Yeah. I guess Arizona plays at Hawaii, but uh, come on, nobody cares. It, it will be Miami and Florida the entire week leading up to that game, and then the first two days after that game. That's all anybody's going to talk about because it's literally all we're going to have to go on. How many games total are there in Week Zero? I know that's really the main one that like that really matters, but I'm just talking about televised football games in general that count. There's a couple more, right? I don't think it's it's the slate Let's that we've here. had the last couple of years. Week Zero? No, there's just there's just two games. Miami, wow, Florida, that's it. Yeah, Arizona and Hawaii. It's like and, a tease. And then we have a big slate. Well, I say big is a loose term. A lot of games. On that Thursday night, yeah. So we'll do we'll do a show Friday, I believe, from Pearl River Resort. But that Thursday night, uh, we have UCLA Cincinnati. You oh, have um, anything good? Georgia Tech Clemson Georgia Tech, should Clemson. be good. You'll get A&M to see. plays that day, right? They they have the first SEC game. Yeah, Texas State going to College Station and Utah BYU that night. Holy War, nine fifteen kickoff. That's not bad. No, that's a good game. That is a it's a pretty good opening game. Then, of course, we get off and rolling. Uh, there's Colorado, Colorado State that Friday night, by the way, if you are interested. I'll, I'll be watching. Oklahoma State, Oregon State. Utah State, Wake Forest. Huge. Heck that, of a that follow-up for the ACC be a Network after Clemson, Georgia Tech. By the way, we get a text here. Fall camp is a terrible name and title. College teams play three or four games before fall officially arrives. That is true. That is true. So coming up next, we will go into fall camp. First of all, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you got some bad news today. Something that happened actually a couple of weeks ago that we're just learning about today. One key player will miss what sounds like the entirety of fall camp, maybe even into the season with back surgery. We'll tell you who that is timetables, all that stuff coming up next. Then we'll go through our storylines or things to watch as Ole Miss and Mississippi State begin fall camp this week. It's finally here. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Stick around. In the sunshine of your... Hey guys! What happened? What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back in on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Adad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. And uh, we won't waste any time. We'll get right into it. Ole Miss had 
Some unfortunate news they released today on Alex Givens, the guy that they brought to SEC Media Days. And, and help me out, Rippy. This occurred two days after he made his rounds in Hoover and even talked to us on our show that day. I had back surgery, and they are hopeful, according to the terminology, that he returns before the end of fall camp. So what do you know? And this seems like it came out of nowhere. Was this a lingering injury or what? Um, yeah, so I think it's something that they discovered throughout the summer and I guess made a decision to go ahead and try to clean it up before the season starts. But um, I, I don't know if it, like minor is the right way to classify it, but I, 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 like the, the way it was phrased is that he'll be limited in fall camp. I bet he does not see much action in fall camp, but the hope is that he will be back for the season opener. Um, but, you know, on a really young offensive line, that's kind of the anchor. Um, not really kind of, he is the anchor, you know, at, at whether he ends up at right tackle, left tackle, that's the guy that's played the most football on there, and the experience kind of drops off after him. So definitely a blow for the Ole Miss offensive line. So it is a blow, but how big? Because, as you mentioned, uh, when SEC Media Days was going on, you said, look at the guys behind the starting unit. Because the starting five up front for Ole Miss are guys that uh, either project well or have experience, whatever. But if you look at the, the backups, if you will, not a whole lot of experience or name power or scholarships in some cases. Uh, so what does this do for the offensive line? How big of a blow is it when you consider uh, that fact? Um, I mean, I guess it's not really – I mean, it's not catastrophic if he doesn't miss any game time. But, I mean, they bring in seven new offensive linemen, freshmen, that were not here for – spring ball and so I was actually talking to Gibbons at SEC media days just about how how different it is because I was just imagining you know the last two three years he's been a a guy in the room with a bunch of older guys alongside of him and I imagine now he kind of sits in the offensive line and kind of looks around and wonders where everybody went and so he's kind of the older guy in the room and he was talking a lot about how he's helped bring some of the younger guys along and I think he was going to continue to do that obviously when they bring the seven newcomers in because I imagine at least one or two of those seven guys that were kind of arriving now on campus and getting ready to go through fall camp are going to have to crack the two deep in some capacity or contribute in some capacity because they just don't have a lot of experience behind it so it, it hurts not having him out there and having him kind of guide some of those younger guys through through the different things and blocking schemes and really just being an experienced guy out there. How much he can do from the sideline, I don't know, but obviously not the same if he's out there. So it's definitely significant, but if he doesn't miss any game action, that's obviously best-case scenario and probably maybe fed into the decision why to, as to why to go ahead and do it now. Sometimes, if Matt Luke, for example, isn't exactly long-winded, if he's asked a question, he just kind of answers it and gets out really quick. Uh, the sound by comparison, a little inside baseball. When I'm cutting audio, the 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 answer length between Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead's kind of funny because Moorhead's is, you know, like an average like a minute twenty per answer. Matt Luke's like thirty seconds. He doesn't say much. He he's a coach, and coaches speak in coach language. But sometimes they do tell you a lot. For example, when he was asked about the offensive line about a dozen times at media days, Matt Luke said one name every single time, and that was Nick Broker. And if you just look at his rivals profile he doesn't seem like some guy that would jump off the page at you he's he was just a three-star recruit whatever but this is a guy that Ohio State wanted late in the process and so when Matt Luke the former offensive line coach says one name in particular over and over and over again who happens to play Alex Givens's position 
this might be a window for him to grow up a lot in this fall camp, knowing that Alex Gibbons isn't there and he's the one that the coach kept referencing the entire time in Hoover. Sure, and you know he comes to campus at I believe he's listed at six six two eighty five somewhere in that range two eighty eight I think is exactly what it is. So. It, but it's hard to get a freshman offensive lineman from high school just physically ready to play in their first year. Rich Rodriguez talked a lot about that some in the spring, and so did Coach Jack McNell Jr. And so, you know, how how they may not have a choice, like you said, and that is a name that's come up a lot, but trying to get a, a high school offensive lineman ready for SEC football in, you know, a seven, eight-week time frame is no, no easy task, but they're going to have to do it with a couple of these guys because I think at least one, probably two, maybe more than that, depending on how the season goes, is going to have to contribute in some capacity. Any uh, guesses on who those would have to be aside from Broker? I mean, Broker's probably a good guess. After that, I it, I don't know if – we haven't seen anything, and so I, I'm not exactly sure – you know, they, they might be finding out the answer to that here in the next couple of weeks, honestly. So the first drama of fall camp, and it hasn't even begun, uh, is at Ole Miss. Turning the page to Mississippi State, and let's do this generally, and if you're listening and you want to be a part of the show, here's a good time uh, to start doing that. What are the questions that you have or that you think that Mississippi State and Ole Miss need to answer this fall camp? I've laid out a few. I'm sure the guys have some. So storylines, questions, and we'll start with Mississippi State, hey, Dad. Uh, all of the talk is going to be about the quarterback battle, but is there anything besides that that you're specifically going to be watching for when practice uh, begins on Friday. Yeah, and I'll go into it a little more in depth on tomorrow's Thunder and Lightning podcast, but the defensive tackle position is one where you talk about, you know, just ravaged by graduation. Obviously, you lose Jeff Simmons to the NFL draft, but you also lose Braxton Hoyette and, and Corey Thomas, and, and then you're on the line with Montez Sweat and Gary Green gone. Now, you've got some experienced defensive ends, guys who've played a lot of reps, and Chauncey Rivers and Kobe Jones and Marquis Spencer, but Lee Autry and Kendall Jones are your starting defensive tackles. Jones is a redshirt senior who's never made any real contribution prior to this year. Uh, behind them, you've probably got three freshmen, two redshirt guys, Fabian Lovett and Jaden Crumity, and then a true freshman, Nathan Pickering, who was the uh, – the second uh, highest rated recruit in state's 2019 class. So, you know, you think about what you had there a season ago with Jeff Simmons, who you just plugged him in and you knew you were getting all-American play out of him. That's gone now, and you've got to find some guys who can at least be above average because you've got good linebackers, but they're not going to be doing a whole lot if the tackles can't keep blockers off of them. So the defensive tackle position is, is a huge question mark for MSU when camp opens up. Those two young guys you mentioned, I know recruiting is not the end-all, be-all, and sometimes recruiting services miss on guys, but those Fab Lovett and Nathan Pickering were two guys that were highly sought after, like had yeah. offers from everybody in the SEC uh, so, I mean, would you be surprised at all if, even though they're young and inexperienced, they come in and, and assume a pretty large role because, at least on paper, they're extremely talented? Well, they're going to be huge rotation guys to start the season, but by the end of the year, would I be completely surprised if they're the starters? No, I wouldn't. Uh, you mentioned it. I mean, Lovett and Pickering could both be on Alabama's roster right now. They had offers from 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 Nick Saban. So, yeah, I won't be completely surprised if those guys end up being the uh, – being the starters by the end of the year. But I like Autry. I thought he was good in limited action last year. Jones, I just don't know a whole lot about because outside of garbage time, he's never really played. And it's really odd to see a redshirt senior who's never made a huge contribution become a starter all of a sudden. You just don't see it very often. So we'll see what he can do. He was injured during the spring, too, so that didn't help him very much. State's got to find some guys there, though. That's the big question. One of the questions I wrote down was about Isaiah Zuber. 
Uh, I mean, can he acclimate right away? Because as you know, and it, I'm not reinventing the wheel here, uh, Mississippi State struggled at the receiver position a year ago. Um, and he's That's a guy that wasn't used very much in the Kansas State offense because they just simply didn't throw the football. But if you go watch some of his games, that's a guy that can be an impact receiver if he acclimates right away uh, with Mississippi State. Is there any word about how that's going and uh, anything like that? Well, yeah, I mean, talking to, to Joe Moorhead, he said that both Zuber and Tommy Stevens have acclimated well to the locker room and they're doing seven on seven. But until we see them out there on the field, obviously there's there's not a whole lot I can tell you. But at least with a receiver, you feel like that's going to be a quick acclimation, uh, you know, that he's going to be able It's just running routes. It's just getting open. He, he should be okay. And I think he also can make a big impact for MSU in the special teams. He averaged almost 18 yards of punt return a season ago at Kansas State. Uh, another thing I have down here, and, and this is probably – uh, a little obvious, but can either Tommy Stevens or Keaton Thompson make it obvious? Because if if they aren't able to, I mean, I think all of us have agreed at some point or another that you don't bring in a graduate transfer quarterback from Penn State that's ran your system who was transferring because he wasn't guaranteed the, spar- the starting spot. You don't bring that guy in unless you anticipate him winning the job. But if he is unable to make it obvious, it could get dicey. So I, another question I wrote down was simply, can Tommy Stevens slash Keaton Thompson make it obvious? Because if not, you know, it could go into the season or it could divide the team. But if one is significantly better than the other and they show it early, then off to the races. Yeah, and that's obviously what Joe Moorhead wants. He wants to, I would imagine he would love to tell us who the starting quarterback of this team is in a couple of weeks. Uh, so we'll see if it happens. If you listen to his comments, it's pretty obvious, you know, where he thinks is going to who's going to be the guy. It's going to be Tommy Stevens because he said, as leaders, I like them both. As runners, I like them both. It's just going to be who's the better passer. All indications is that's going to be Stevens. So I think it could end up being a quick decision. I think we'll certainly know something in the week before Mississippi State heads down to New Orleans. We'll continue looking at some fall camp storylines as well as some stories out of the NFL, including Robert Kimdichie getting cut by the Cardinals. Ezekiel Elliott is going to spend his time holding out, not in the United States of America. I'm not kidding. And also, turf is to blame for A.J. Green's injury. More fall camp. More NFL training camp, all of that coming up right here on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A couple of texts here on the ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. And you can do like what Michael and Poplarville did. You can text the show, be a part of the conversation today, ask us some questions, insult Rippy, whatever you want to do, you can do it on Bring the ceasefire text line. And uh, Michael asks, quite simply, can Ole Miss's defense be better? this season and luckily for them can't get much worse if that is any kind of silver lining they do return 10 starters rippy and presumably uh, when you replace wesley mcgriff with their new defensive coordinator mike mcintyre they should get better but what kind of ceiling do they have considering just quite frankly just how bad they were last year Ceiling. I don't know. I don't know if that's able. To, like, I don't know if you'll be able to quantify that until you see it in action for a game or two, or at least get through a couple of practices. But I, I mean, this sounds like we're being facetious, and we've said this a couple of times on the show. But like, lining up in the right spot, tackling better, things like that. I mean, it's a it's a fairly low bar to try to hurdle over. So I think comparatively, they will probably be better. But how much? I, I don't know. I, I think. You'll have to get through a couple games to be able to quantify that because different system, um, 
you know, some experienced guys at the top. Really, I think every starter on the front end of their two deep, like starting, is an upperclassman. So, how much depth do they have? I think they're okay on the offensive and defensive line. Excuse me. You know, linebacker secondary, that guess that kind of remains to be seen. So I think they'll be comparatively better. I just don't know if you'll be able to quantify it until you get later in the season or at least a couple games in. Uh, a couple more things that I wrote down here on, on the Ole Miss side of things is, uh, can Matt Corral handle it? I, I mean, you know how talented he is. I think one of the, was it Mike Farrell, one of the Rivals guys, said that he had generational arm talent. But, as you saw in the Egg Bowl, things kind of got out of hand and maybe he was, not maybe, he was overconsumed with emotions and, and it got heated and out of hand and in hindsight he probably should have been ejected from that football game. So can he, as a redshirt freshman, handle being the guy? This is his football team now and he's the veteran as a redshirt freshman in the quarterback room. It's his team, it's the SEC West. Do you think he's got the mental makeup to, to handle all of this? I think being thrust into, like Matt Luke said at SEC Media Days, he's been forced into a leadership role, and Corral pushed back on that a little bit when asked about it afterward. But I think it, I think Luke is probably right, and I think that's probably helped because I remember I asked Matt at Matt Corral, that is at Media Day, when's the last time he felt like a freshman, and he said ninth grade year, his first high school game, and he said he really hasn't felt like a freshman since, and so I, I think being thrown in. As quick as he has, has certainly helped. Um, you know whether he's able to handle that, and you kind of saw his emotions get out at the Egg Bowl and, and things like that, and whether he's able to harness that and turn it into something positive, I guess, or something useful, um, kind of remains to be seen. But you know this is his team, and it has been for this entire off season. So I, I think that has kickstarted the process, if nothing else. And the last thing I wrote down here, uh, questions for Ole Miss. And and if you have one yourself, text us again, 601-879-4395, is can they play their A game, their best football in week one of the season? Because if you look at Mississippi State, for example, Mississippi State start the, starts the season with at least two, probably four teams that they are just better than. So if Tommy Stevens does win the job, he gets to go to the Superdome, even though it's well, I guess technically it's a neutral site game in Louisiana, but there will be just as many, if not more, Mississippi State fans there than ULL fans, or I guess I should call it Louisiana because ULL is not a thing anymore. But they are just simply the better football team. So he doesn't have to be sharp. The team won't really have to be all that sharp, and they can still win the game. Same thing with Southern Miss, probably same thing with Kansas State and Kentucky even. I mean, they're just, they can ease their way into the season and play kind of sloppy early. Ole Miss doesn't have that luxury. They've got to play as good as they can with two new coordinators, two new systems, and a redshirt freshman quarterback, and potentially maybe without their best offensive lineman in week one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about – I don't think they'll play their best football in week one, no, but or the first couple of weeks. But, you know, can they play – can they play at a high enough level to get through the month of September winning three of the first four games? They've got a chance. I think that's kind of the great question as to where this season will end up going because as we've talked about a lot in this offseason is you're going to kind of know the trajectory of Ole Miss's season by the end of September. Will they have a realistic shot at a bowl game and getting to six wins and kind of carrying over some momentum and stability they've built up over the last 18 months or so? Um, you'll know that pretty quickly. So I, I'm not sure they necessarily have to play their best football, but they've got to play well enough to win 
two of the three FBS games they play in September. I'm assuming they'll be able to handle Southeast Louisiana. If not, then we've probably got a whole other issue on our hands. Um, but yeah, so I think they'll be able to, or they'll have a whole other issue on their hands. I, th- I think it's just a matter of playing well enough to to be in all three of those games and have a chance to win all three. Is there anything else uh, that I'm missing as far as storylines that you guys are watching for at uh, Ole Miss or Mississippi State camp or storylines to keep an eye on going into this season? Ole Miss's edge guys are interesting to me. How that new position where it's mostly converted defensive ends, a couple inside linebackers have slid outside, how they handle that position because Ole Miss really struggled to generate an exterior pass rush. They really missed Marquise Haynes last year and guys like that. They couldn't have guys come off the edge and get after the quarterback, and I think that helped opposing quarterbacks a lot. The A&M game in particular comes to mind, even though Kellen Mond didn't play well. They really, really struggled to get a pass rush from the outside. So how those guys handle that new position, because it does come with some different responsibilities. They're obviously not playing a true defensive end slot anymore. Um, that'll be interesting to watch, you know, kind of who stands out there, because Sam, you got Sam Williams and Kadir Shepard, or at least it listed it, top the depth chart on either side there now. Um, I think Williams, they're expecting to have a really big impact, or at least hoping, and how Shepard handles that too. So I'll be watching that. That'll be an interesting position to watch, to see who kind of comes along in the de- depth they develop at that position as well. For State, it's it's Kylan Hill. Is he going to be given the ball this year? You know, I think he's got all the talent in the world. He could be a 1,000-plus yard back and be a, a potential All-SEC guy. I voted him second-team All-SEC along with old Mrs. Scotty Phillips. Uh, but he's got to be given the ball. So, you know, we'll find out for sure if, you know, the, the Nick Fitzgerald was making bad decisions or if this is just the way the offense is going to go. I think he's going to have a big year personally. I think he'll be a much bigger part of the offense. He'll be a guy who touches the ball 20-plus times a game. And if that happens, then State's got a lot of ch- a great chance to be very successful this year. So can they give their potentially elite running back the football? Seems like the easiest thing in the world, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it seems like that would be really easy to do, but it was not a season ago. Moorhead was on our show, obviously, at SEC Media Days, and he talked about how he ran the quarterback so much because of the numbers and when teams stacked the box. And that was interesting that that sounded like at least his justification for Hill maybe not getting as many carries. Did anybody else pick up on that at the time? Well, I mean, that's part of his – that's what he talks about is, you know, that they give you gives you the extra guy. But at the same time, you know, I can't. I have. I just have trouble believing that every time Fitzgerald ran the ball, that the correct read was keep the ball. Oh yeah, I'm with you there. Or I just call found a that, designed run. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. Just you know, you want to you want to do something with that. Put put an extra back in the backfield. Put an extra tight end out there on the field, and, and give yourself another blocker, and then hand the ball off. That was uh, if you remember Cole Kublik's rant against the Ole Miss offense a few months back, and that was his biggest gripe. He said on third and one with a thousand yard running back and a second round draft pick left tackle, they would throw a deep ball, a low percentage yeah. deep ball. And the justification would be, well, that's just what the defense gave us. And that's our read in the offense. But at some point, you've got to just stop that and give the football to your running back to get a yard or something yeah. like that. That was his rant against 60% of the offense. <laughs> oh, I forgot the other 40 were suppressed. That's where all the magic is. And that, uh, that other 40%. Let's turn the page over to the NFL now. And uh, really not a surprise when you think about it. Uh, Robert Kimdichie was cut by the Cardinals. He showed up to camp uh, after an ACL tear. And, and you could tell if you watched the Cliff Kingsbury press conference, uh, they were not at all pleased with the shape that he showed up in a picture, uh, was surfacing as well, and, and he had put on some not good weight at all, showed up really out of shape, and has really just underperformed since day one 
in Arizona, and uh, his football career, at least in the Cardinals uniform, is over for now. But as everybody else has said, it's not really a surprise. It just never felt like his heart, even when he was in college, never felt like his heart was actually in football. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. And I I remember at the time when they were kind of coming through and you were trying to project that 20, was that 14 class, whatever it was, uh, kind of how they would do in the in the NFL or 2013 class, I guess. It was interesting because I, I, I remember writing and thinking at the time I would be a little bit surprised, or I guess I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Kimdichie was out of the NFL within five years because he just never seemed to have, like you said, that level of commitment or passion for football. And like if that's not, I mean, that's not necessarily a knock on him, but you have to have that and you have to have kind of a savage like work ethic to make it in the NFL and he just never had it like you said but I mean somebody else will take a flyer on him I'd imagine you think so for some reason I get this gut feeling and it's probably wrong that this is it that he's not even going to try to get back and play for somebody else I don't know it might not be that a team's not willing to take a chance it might be that he's not willing to get back out on the field that's certainly fair as well but I just think first round pick 29th overall pick somebody's take a second team is taking a flyer on that are they not Potentially so. You would we'll, think. We will uh, have to see. More NFL uh, training camp storylines coming up as well as The Athletic. Sports media might just be okay in the future. We'll give you those numbers next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Like that. I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Monday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Speaking of the NFL, sometimes social media managers get it wrong. And today, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers literally got shamed into deleting a tweet because it was, seriously, I'm not kidding. I missed this. A hype video of a Jameis Winston interception in practice. I mean, it, it was all edited and had this like this thumping music, and Jameis Winston drops back and throws a pick, and it's a pick six as well in practice. And the caption said like, "Not today" or something like that. You know, playing on the Game of Thrones. What do we say to the God of Death? Not today. Anyway, yeah. but you should have seen the replies from Buccaneers fans. It, it, they were so funny too. They weren't just mad. It was well, at least we know Jameis is in midseason form. <laughs> I would show you guys, but it doesn't exist anymore. They got shamed into deleting the hype video. I gotta find some mentions. The mentions will still exist. Was it a bad throw or a cool pick? It was a bad throw. It was a quarterback, their starting quarterback, throwing an interception in training camp, and they turned it into a hype video. Yeah, I guess if the quarterback, like, one-hands it and toe taps and, like, leaps around the guy or something, maybe, but... Yeah, it doesn't seem ideal. I've never understood. I mean, there are certain things when you're watching spring games or whatever that you can cheer for, right? If if a guy makes an unbelievable, like, behind-the-back, one-handed, like, get-two-feet-in-bounds kind of catch, fine, clap, cheer, whatever. But because this is what happens this time of year, all the reporters are tweeting videos of training camp, and if there's a ball that's caught downfield – a lot of fans go to these things, thousands of them. They all cheer, they, like go crazy. 
but your defense just gave up a touchdown. What are you cheering for? I, I'll never understand that. Go to go to the practices, get the autographs, enjoy it. But when you stand up and cheer when your defensive back gives up a long touchdown pass in practice, that's a territory I don't understand. That's the thing about it's the same with the spring game, right? You know, you come to the spring game and everybody's happy. Oh, we scored a touchdown. Oh, but we also gave up points. <laughs> There's no winning. Speaking of the NFL, Ezekiel Elliott's still holding out. And the report on Pro Football Talk today straight up says that Ezekiel Elliott nor his agents, or neither one of them, uh, have even replied to Dallas in the last few days on their most recent offer for a contract extension. So talks don't even exist right now, and he's on his way to Mexico. He's going to go train in Mexico during his holdout, which apparently is the same thing he did during his six-game suspension, but the sides aren't even in communication right now, and they have a preseason game in a week and a half, which doesn't matter, but with holdouts and contract negotiation, you would hope at least both sides are talking. Zeke Elliott's side is completely ignoring the Cowboys, and now he's leaving the country. It's a bit of a mess. When we were in Hoover, uh, Rippy left the room and left one of those awful ESPN shows on TV, so I was trapped into watching it because I couldn't find the remote. And Mike Greenberg was just railing on Ezekiel Elliott how he's going to have to, he's going to have to just suck it up and play for the Cowboys this year. He has no leverage, this, that, and the other. I mean, I think players always have leverage, man. The Cowboys want to get him on the field. They know he's a key piece of their playoff hopes. So. You know, if he's going down there and, and to, to Mexico, that that's really that's he's he's using his leverage the correct way, in my opinion. He, he's he's making it clear this is where we are. Always something with him. Yeah, I would. It would be tough because, as Haydad mentioned, the Cowboys probably don't win. I think they're a sleeper. Not maybe not to win the Super Bowl, but I think Dallas is going to be really good. Like when they're on your schedule, especially if you have to go to Dallas, you're terrified. With how good defensively they're going to be, they have a quarterback that takes care of the football. They'll be able to run it a little bit. Now they have a receiver that's dangerous. That might be a really good Dallas team if they can figure this thing out with Zeke Elliott. But with the current trend of running back stability and the fact that it doesn't really exist, and now this guy is an every offseason headache for you, you may live to regret it, but I would consider maybe moving him or moving on from him one way or the other because you have more important people that you need, maybe not more important, but you have other pieces that you have to pay. Running backs don't last a very long time, and who knows what this guy's going to do next offseason. Off-the-field trouble is part of him now. He's not a wrong place. It always place, feels wrong... like you can get a running back too, right? It always feels like in free agency or in the draft, there's always a running back available. But How often is there a, a franchise quarterback or an elite wide receiver available? Not very often. Yeah. I, that, that would be something I would at least consider, and it doesn't sound like they are, but man, it, uh, when that is the only thing that anybody can talk about with Cowboys football, as I mean, I think that's going to be a really good football team this year, like a dangerous, play, deep playoff run type team this year. And nobody's talking about that because it's Zeke Elliott got arrested or got in some trouble at a concert, at a music festival. Now he's holding out. His agent won't even talk to the Cowboys, and he's flying to Mexico. Just get rid of the headache. But I guess that's why I'm not an executive for an NFL team. 
Winners and losers up next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You say you don't know. Monday, it's just after 4 o'clock. That means it's time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Rippy, start us off. Give me a winner. Um, Brooks Kepka. Why for showing up forty-five minutes, uh, just forty-five minutes before his tea time and winning and WGC event? Yeah, and just the run of golf he's on in general is just insane. Like he, what he finishes? I know he was eight, seven, eight shots back at the Open, but like for the. The two-plus-year run he's on is approaching a territory that we really haven't seen since. Like, I hate comparing it to Tiger Woods, but there's really no one that's been on this long of a dominance. And if he starts next year, you know, if he's in contention at the Masters in the U.S. opening it, it really will kind of extend to a length of a run at the top that you really haven't seen since Tiger. And obviously nothing will ever match what Tiger did in the early 2000s. But, like, when's the last guy we've had that has had, like, like has been, like, the pace car of the tournament where you're watching where he is and then the rest of the field? It's been a long time. 2008? Maybe. I mean... Well, I guess Rory had a little run for a while and Spieth had a little run for a while, but nothing like this. I was about to say both of those, but it, it, it hasn't, like, lasted that long, and this doesn't appear to be ending anytime soon. I mean, granted, when it goes, it goes, and I'm sure he'll have a bad stretch of golf in his career. Maybe he won't. I don't know. I'm just assuming. But it's reaching a level and a a length of time that is really kind of rarefied air. Do you think that chip on his shoulder and the persona that he doesn't really care about golf and he doesn't practice, do you think that's fabricated in some way? Because the same week he showed up 45 minutes before his tee time on Sunday – he was the only guy on the golf course at 6 a.m. on Wednesday working on putting. And you don't do that if you truly don't care. I feel like there's some generated act involved with this. No, because, well, maybe some, but I think you're kind of figuring out who he is. Like, I think we're, because you remember the first round where he won the U.S. Open and that kind of came onto the scene? People knew who he was before that. But everyone was kind of nagging him for being boring. And now he's anything but boring. This is kind of his shtick. But I think it's a lot of it is really who he is. I think, I mean, you're a professional golfer. You obviously have to work very hard to get where you are. But I don't think this stuff is life or death for him. But in terms of trying to get motivated and finding things to get motivated about, I think the chip is real because, what, he's won five times in the United States and four majors? Like... You have to have some kind of chip to get motivated. Like, if he's searching for motivation and can only find it in the at the highest stakes in the biggest tournaments, then I think it'd be hard to probably call that completely fabricated. Hey, Dad, you got a winner? I do, and it's the same winner I had the last time we did Winners and Losers. I'm going with the San Francisco Giants. 19-5 and in the month of July. They have firmly established themselves in the playoff race as far as a wild card goes. They've actually made up. I think three games on the Dodgers, so they're only 13 out in the division. Uh, but they've done well enough that, you know, the, the thought of maybe trading Madison Bumgarner or Will Smith, that's out the door now. They're going to ride this out and, and see what happens. And they're playing really good baseball right now. They're, they're about to take a long road trip, so we'll see where they are at the end of that. But if they can 
stay in, in, in on this pace, obviously it's going to be great. But it, even if they can just keep winning here and there, they've at least made baseball season interesting for me. My wife is going to laugh at me for this one, but whatever. Um, the plan has been for, for our son to hand him a golf club as soon as possible, but my, I may end up handing him a video game controller. A kid named Kyle Gearsdorf, 16 years old, on Sunday won $3 million playing Fortnite in the Fortnite World Cup championship. Like 7 million people watched it online, and a 16-year-old kid playing a video game one Sunday afternoon won three million dollars that's more than the payout that tiger woods received for winning the masters this year 16 year old kid playing a cartoon video game i was just born too early i suck at fortnite (laughs) i never played fortnite but i was a video game fiend back in the day my the house i lived in i guess 2017 2018 First year of grad school, my roommates had Fortnite, and I got into it for a while, but I was awful, and I decided to hang it up. Any other winners on the list for you two? Hmm. I was kind of unplugged last week, so like I, I, I yeah. don't feel like I have a very good like grasp of what's going on. Um. No, that's about it. Yeah. Same here. Well, I've got a few. The first one, police in Arizona, Tempe, Arizona to be exact, are starting a new initiative. They're kicking off a campaign to promote good driving. Officers will be pulling people over for following traffic laws. Instead of giving them a ticket, you will get a coupon for a free drink at Circle K. Violating the Fourth Amendment to pull people over to give them a 99-cent drink coupon. This is a loser, right? That this wasn't is a, a loser. Okay. I've got a loser. Oh, I've got a loser. I Throw just some losers at me. Okay. I'll go. Uh, Florida State's social media team. <laughs> They've taken it on the chin a few times uh, in the past few months. Uh, who can forget their Martin Luther King Jr. Day graphic? But today they have a graphic up that says it's this many days till Knowles football. And there's a guy wearing number 15 and a giant four behind him. But it's 33 days. <laughs> now, I I might need Dr. Rippey to do the math on this for me, but I don't know how they are deriving 33 from 15 and 4. Okay. I Somebody did all of the math. They did 1 plus 5 plus 4, no. 15 uh, times 4, no. Uh, 1 times 5 plus Like, they did everything possible, and there was not a single mathematical equation that would come to 33 days until kickoff. Just a complete failure. Well, what's half of 15? Seven and a half. What's that times four? Is, is that what we're calling Is that 32? I think it's 30, but I guess if you round up, kind of, it's, it's 30. 7.5 yeah. times four <laughs> is... It's 30. 30. It's 30. Okay. That's, that's about all I got. You told me to take a stab at it. So I got them closer. Like, I, I kind of pushed them closer to what they were trying to get at. Um, I, I don't know. Fifth, yeah, I got nothing. Um, I do have a loser, though. Let's hear it. Get it. So this is not original at all. I know a lot of people complain about this, but it really just irked me again. The if you When your airplane lands and you stand up immediately and crowd the aisle, 
Uh, you should wear an ankle bracelet. The government should be able to watch you. Um, because it is ridiculous. It is not a hard social norm to follow, and it really just makes me angry. Unless you have a connection that you're really about to miss or you're about to need new shorts, like you should not do that. It's a very simple process. You 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 file out, single file out of the plane, but the people that crowd the aisle just make the entire process difficult, and I promise you everyone sitting down in their seat, whether they're supposed to, looking at you, they hate you. They may not say it, but they hate you, and you're dumb. That's and, up, and your up. time is not more valuable than anybody sitting on that seat no, either. Unless, unless you were literally about to miss your flight or some kind of emergency or you were at the two-minute warning trying to get to a bathroom, which they have on most planes, there's no excuse. Like, stop doing it. I can't believe people still do this. Well, and if that, if that is the case, tell everyone around you. Hey, yes. look, my my connecting flight go. is boarding right now. Like, I have to go. I'm so sorry. And then, fine, whatever. Stand up. Otherwise... You deserve to get punched in the throat. Yeah, and I hit the guy with the... Finally, there was one guy on the way there who like did the crowded thing, but he was standing kind of behind me, so it was my turn to get out. I was like tur- getting out of my seat, and then he tries to get in front of me, which I kind of boxed him out, and then I kind of hit him with, first time on an airplane, buddy. <laughs> my wife used your elevator one Good. Uh, this week, this past week. Works for, it's unbelievable. This is not somebody hard, somebody jumped on the elevator as she's trying to get off, and I told her what you said. And so she just looked right at him and was like, first time on an elevator? Uh, nice, nice. <laughs> Uh, by the way, send us your winners and losers. We'd love to hear from you. 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. What are your winners and losers from the weekend? We will read them next. I've got one more loser. The Cincinnati Bengals. They have one thing going for them, right? And that's A.J. Green. Otherwise, they are uninteresting. They have ugly uniforms. They play in an uninspiring stadium. There's nothing good about the Cincinnati Bengals except for A.J. Green. They're going to be without him for the next six to eight weeks because they were practicing at the University of Dayton in Ohio at Welcome Stadium. They evaluated the turf there that they would be practicing on and called it subpar. There were warnings about how the field was in terrible shape, how they shouldn't be practicing, but yet the team decided to do so anyway. He tore ligaments in his ankle, presumably directly related to the awful turf conditions, and now they're without their best and only interesting player for the next two months. So the Cincinnati Bengals are complete losers for that. So send yours in, 601-879-4395. Who are your winners and losers from the weekend? We'll have a couple more I'm sure we will bring up at some point, maybe get Rippy angry again. We will Angry Rippy is the best Rippy. So send us your winners and losers at Sports Talk Mississippi presented by Mississippi Land Bank right here in the Renaissance Bank studio. I'm going to add another winner real quick before we get to your submissions. Alabama and Wisconsin just agreed on a home-and-home for 2024 and 2025, I believe. Either way, college football needs more matchups like that. Alabama going to Camp Randall Stadium is going to be awesome. And for the last few years, Alabama, I mean, since they played Penn State, Alabama hasn't done a home-and-home series. They've got a ton coming up, which is great. I hope uh, the Mississippi schools get involved in in bigger uh, home-and-home non-conference matchups in the future. I know, uh, help me out, hey, Dad, I know Ole Miss has Wake Forest and Georgia Tech on the future schedules. Is there anybody that stands out? I think Minnesota on Mississippi State's future schedule. Minnesota, Texas Tech. Arizona, Arizona State, North Carolina State. So not bad. Just I would love, love to go to Camp Randall Stadium in Wisconsin. 
That's just a place that I've got to go see a football game for sure. I'm looking it up, but I saw Cecil Hurt tweeted this out that this will be not counting Penn State, who's you know obviously an addition to the Big Ten. This is Alabama's first trip to a Big Ten school since 1928. Wow. Yeah. Ole Miss Louisville in Atlanta 2021 to open the year. That's good. Um, I guess they got Baylor as well, don't they? Uh, see, I thought that as well, Borky, but it, I, it, I thought it was 2020, but they only have Georgia Southern, Southeast Missouri, and Middle Tennessee listed for 2020 right now. And Baylor is no longer on there. That's interesting. That is I'll have to look into that. Um, Liberty comes in 2021. <laughs> well, for drama purposes, that'll be great. Yeah, and I don't think that's a home and home. <laughs> yeah, you would hope not. Um, right. for, for State, State went to Illinois in 1980. That's the last time they traveled to a Big Ten school. Lucas and Union says, winners, his daughter, for getting to experience the Neshoba County Fair for the first time, and losers, Brian Cashman, for saying he'd trade with any team except for the Red Sox. On your first one, I myself have never been to the Neshoba County Fair. I've never been. been in Mississippi for nine years now of my life, and I have yet to, to go to the Neshoba County Fair. And this Cashman thing, I'm going to need your guys' help on this. I have no idea what he's talking about there. Well, Cashman is the GM of the of the Yankees, right? He is the GM of the Yankees, who just dropped three of four, I believe, in Boston, but their division yeah. lead is still like an ocean. So I must he may he could have very well missed some comments made some comments related to the trade deadline and misspoke. I don't really know what he's referring to either. There's a thing we're gonna talk about. I'll tease it now in the five o'clock hour in my home state of South Carolina, a player transferred from Clemson to South Carolina, who's probably going to be the starting running back for the Gamecocks this year, caused a little controversy out there. So the question I'm going to pose, and I'll go ahead and do it now, and we'll opine on it later, is how the fans, would Ole Miss fans, be receptive to a Mississippi State player coming in and playing for them as a graduate transfer and vice versa. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We have a couple of uh, texts here. Robert Kimdichi. Or David and Socher says Robert Kim D. She <laughs> voice text probably getting the best of them uh, on their losers list as well. Alex and Starkville says loser McDonald's. He ordered a Big Mac last night and received sausage patties instead of burger patties. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a win. A pleasant surprise there. We get a couple more winners. Red Bull's pit crew in Formula One for breaking the pit stop record. By the way, if you get a chance to watch Formula One, do it. If you like if you like auto racing cars speed watch Formula 1. I mean they're doing 100 miles an hour on 90 degree turns. It, no banking either. It's incredible the speed on these cars. Not a whole lot of passing though in Formula 1, but it's really enjoyable to watch. He also said he is a loser. Brand new 75-inch 4K TV. He opens the box, crack right down the middle. Oh. That's uh you hate to see that. Jason says uh, the Discovery Channel is a loser. The kickoff to Shark Week was the worst kickoff to Shark Week ever. Okay, can, I, I'd like him to follow up on what con- constitutes a bad Shark Week. Not enough sharks? 
<laughs> maybe, maybe it just. I expected more shark. Yeah, what is it? What is a bad shark week? Like how did? How, what is it? What makes a good shark week? More fights. Have you seen the video of the one great white taking a hunk out of the other great white? Those these guys are pulling one in. No, but obviously that did not satisfy this guy. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was Shark Week this week. That used to be something. I don't know if it was just me when I was like fourteen. That Shark I, I would week sit, every day at Ole Miss. Oh yeah, something like that, or or like a can opener lizard, either one. That's why um, they need a live shark. That would legitimize the entire thing if they could put a live shark somewhere. Big tank in there on the south end zone, and you feed it moments before the team takes the field. That Isn't sounds logistically live dangerous. Elephant. Actually, that's just, just a horrible throwing idea. it in the tank. <laughs> sounds like a logistically bad idea. I scratch Probably, that from the yeah. record. That would be pretty sweet, though. If you're oh, talking amazing. I mean, if you're talking live mascots, a shark would be way up there on some of the coolest ones. Better than a pig that Arkansas has. One hundred percent. Yeah, that, uh, that we had a heck of a day on radio that day that I merely pointed out that people were taking photos with that pig in the cage <laughs> outside the super regional. People thought that was just mesmerizing stuff. I didn't quite understand. It. I thought it was very bizarre, but what that people were taking pictures of the pig. Just like I just don't like I, I get the passion in college sports and all that. I'm not like poking fun at it, but man, imagine if you implanted someone from a different country or even like a different planet and put them outside Bomb Stadium that day, where people were huddled around this live pig with the baseball game about to take place inside. Just interesting. Tim in Columbia says comedy and stupidity. Yeah, you can't have Shark Week and, and like try to do a comedy show. It's got to be like intense music beds. And just feeding and like jumping out of the water to catch a seal, that kind of stuff. That's what Shark Week is. Not a comedy show. I agree with him, even though I did not, uh, did not watch it. Okay. Jeremy and Jackson is is getting dark here. Feed pig to shark yeah. is what he says. <laughs> That's what playing, I'm saying. Throw a live pig in there. <laughs> Can you imagine? There's got to be some kind of office law in Oxford. The problem is when you get to mascots that aren't human, that are not animals, you're going to run into a real Real, real quandary with that one. I, I, Ole Miss I, versus Notre Dame. Yeah. Let's go. I, I just, I think that's probably logistically a tough idea. Find the, the one Irish guy that's. We don't want the Irish. <laughs> oh uh. man, Tim and Tuplo says tax-free weekend was like a shark attack. And that was this weekend in Starville. That means that's the uh, that's that school supply week. School's starting up soon, isn't it? Starts next week for my kids, yeah. I guess that's something really? that uh, that I'm going to have to deal with here soon. Very soon. We were gifted a um, bassinet yesterday. The room's starting to come together. Like, I don't know if you experienced this the first time your wife was pregnant. Hey, Dad, but like, it doesn't. It, it never. It doesn't feel real because he's not here yet. You know what I mean? I, like, I see the ultrasounds and I love it. And I'm connected to my son, and it's going to be awesome. But I'm still, no matter how mentally prepared I think I am, it's going to be so different when he actually comes. I, I'm well, just yeah. unfathomable. Yeah. Bulldogs. That's how, we're that's not, how it works. <laughs> somebody says, we're not putting puppies in the tank. No. Mentions bulldogs. Gosh, no. You could get away with a pig, I think. People it, eat pigs. I mean, What's the difference? Maybe, but... A dog is pushing it. Yeah. And, and then a human, of course, is a real issue. Have you seen PETA's internet army? That would be really tough to sell to them. If they got wind of that, it'd be a bad week for Ole Miss. 
Could you use it as like a death penalty thing? Just dress the criminal like a leprechaun or the volunteer and then throw him into the tank. <laughs> this is beyond my realm of expertise at this point. What, what, do you, what do you have a doctorate for if you don't know the answers to these things? Here's a random fact of the day for you, by the way. If you ever listen to the show, I, a goal that I have every day when I plan the show is I want you to either learn something, think about something, or maybe laugh. Just one of those three things. If you do one of those when you listen to us, it was a good day. You're about to learn something. Great white sharks cannot be kept in captivity. People have tried. They never make it. They don't last very long. They die in captivity no matter how big the tank is, no matter how, for some reason, great white sharks cannot be held in captivity. There's your random fact of the day. If you hate our show, at least you learned something. There you go. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. So that kind of throws a wrench things. into our idea. Jeff and Grenada says... It doesn't have to be a great white. No, it I mean, doesn't. Like a black a tip or something. or something. Well, I mean, based on the mascot design, you can rule out Hammerhead. <laughs> we get a text here. Duh. That's why we get a land shark. <laughs> uh, Jeff Grenada says Miami versus Ole Miss, the next Sharknado. Oh, speaking of winners, the cameras for CBS, because Jenna Sims, Brooks Kepka's girlfriend, almost got her typical get in front of the camera shot and they moved away from her and they cut her off and I bet she is so mad. More of your texts coming and we'll get to those next. Also 100 teams in 100 days and a whole lot more at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. One more loser before we turn our attention to Washington State, by the way, team number 33 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Ryan in the Delta says, loser Trevor Bauer for the Indians. He was getting yanked, so he turned around and threw the ball over the center field wall. What was it, about 350 feet or so from the pitcher's mound Got a nice little scolding from Terry Francona as well. I don't know if that's a loser move or a power move, but uh, Francona wasn't very happy. It can be both. Yeah. I mean, getting it over the... like, It would have been worse if he had come up short of the fence. So at least he got it over. But yeah, weird move. You should probably just hand the ball to the skipper and go to the dugout. Could have thrown his arm out doing that. Very true. Very true. Joey in Madison has jokes, by the way. He says, Ole Miss wouldn't need a very big tank for a baby shark. Oh. Either that or he's being sincere when you can get just a small shark and have a small tank. People have them in their homes, I guess. Oh, another fun fact of the day. You can't have pointed ends in a shark tank. It's got to be curved. Makes sense. Because they'll run into the wall and, and they won't be able to get out because they can't swim backwards if they get pinned in the corner. So you need something curved so they can absorb the blow. And I don't know why I know these things, but uh, you're welcome. Uh, you, you have learned something today. Let's go to the countdown right now. Counting down 100 teams in 100 days. And team number 33, the Fighting Mike Leach Pirates or Washington State Cougars, however you want to spin it. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day. 
100 teams in 100 days. Talking Washington State football, no more Gardner Minshew for the Cougars. But still, some people think that they will be competitive in the Pac-12. Washington State starts this season with New Mexico State and Northern Colorado. A couple of wins for them, at least you would think so. Gets interesting with Houston in Week 3, then they host UCLA, go to Utah to start Pac-12 play. Then they have Arizona State. They have to go to Tempe. Colorado, Oregon, uh, on at home, on the road, respectively. They go to Cal, host Stanford, host Oregon State, and go to Washington. Mike Leach has been great at Washington State, guys, but still has just never been able to get over the Washington hump to get him to a conference championship and uh, extend beyond just having good seasons there. Yeah, but for Washington State, I mean, they're okay. You know, the, the, we talked about Mississippi State and Ole Miss and expectations. Washington State being consistent nine, eight, nine win team, they're, they're probably pretty cool with that. I would think they'd like to, to. You know, it hurts that their rival is is doing better, but at the end of the day, I mean, Mike Leach isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, is that the, what's the ceiling at that program? Because it, they've gotten pretty close to reaching it. I mean, they've had a legitimate shot to win that division a couple of times, so I guess that's kind of the ceiling, get to a Pac-12 title game. At two of the most difficult jobs in all of college football, and don't kid yourself, Washington State's won under him at least in the last four years or so. There is no recruiting base in the state of Washington, and you are definitely the least attractive of the two schools there. It's not even close. Washington is in a better city, better school, all that stuff. And two of the most difficult jobs in college football, Texas Tech and Washington State. He's 133-83. and 83. He went 84-43 and 43 as a head coach at Texas Tech. It's unbelievable what he's done under the worst circumstances. And that one year, Ole Miss got them in, I guess, what was that, the 2008 Cotton Bowl? They entered that game 11-1, and if I'm not mistaken. Like, they were in the BCS conversation until pretty much the very end. They were 11-2 and that year with the loss in the Cotton Bowl. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that'll play. And at Washington State, he took over a really rough program, went 3-9, and 6-7, and 3-9, and has rattled off 9-4, and 8-5, 9-4, 11-2 at Washington State. There you go. They're, they're, they're going to be fine. They'll, they'll have some new quarterback you've never heard of who will throw for 3,500 yards and 35 touchdowns this year. But they'll have games where they lose 48-40. to 40. And like, their kicker probably won't be very good. <laughs> probably not. And his, uh, his, uh, his press conferences will be good. Did y'all read the story Bruce Feldman did about him as an SID? No, not at all. You need to read that story. Just, it's really, uh, it's really fun. About the life and experience of working with Mike Leach? No, no, no. Mike Leach was the SID in this story. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. when they He was at Iowa Wesleyan with How Mummy. He was also the SID. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm not giving you any more than that. 
I'm going to need a link to that. to get your entrance. I, uh, I can't wait to read that. Any famous alumni from Washington State? Yeah, we've got a few. We're going to go with Paul Allen, uh, former owner of the Seattle Seahawks and Portland Trailblazers, and, of course, one of the co-founders of Microsoft. Keith Jackson, one of the, the, oh, the wow. greatest college football commentator of all time. And uh, I'm torn, but we'll go with Edward R. Murrow, who is the, generally regarded as the father of the evening news. It's between him and uh, Gary Larson, who created the far side. That's not bad. That's, that's a solid group. Not Pretty good a list. Bad list at all. That's team number 33, Washington State, on the countdown of 100 teams. Oh, One more? I missed LeVar Ball. My bad. That's your boy now. Uh, he's been awfully quiet lately. Yeah, Maybe he, uh, just just wait. Hey, did we miss State or Ole Miss while we were gone? Uh, neither one. Uh, okay. Ole Miss was a while ago, and I'll tell you who Mississippi. State I must have just is. missed Ole Miss then because I don't remember Mississippi State. Ole Miss was forty-one. That must have been a weekend or something. Mississippi yeah. State is number sixteen on wow. this list. Yeah, we'll um, talk about that a little later on the show, according to the rundown. So yeah, we will. Um, some even though lost a bunch of guys on defense, lost the quarterback. There's some respect still nationally for Mississippi State. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. Wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this though. So some mixed feelings, especially from Rippy, as we talked off air about this. The Athletic. We have guys from the Athletic on the show. Sometimes we all talk about how good the content is, and it is very good. I'm a subscriber. I like it. I more than like it. I think it's a great product. And it's kind of a litmus test for sports media's future. Because newspapers, especially Gannett newspapers, are what they are right now. Uh, The cord-cutting stuff has caused TV to be at least fluid right now. Radio, we're holding strong, at least I think so, um, across the board in sports radio. More people listen to sports radio in 2018 than any other year, ever. So radio's doing okay, but sports media is definitely in some kind of transition. And The Athletic was a litmus test for what the future of it could be because there are no ads, just subscriber-based, and they announced today that they have 500,000 subscribers that pay, on average, $64 a year to consume their content. If you do the math, I can't do it in my head, so I'm actually pulling out the calculator app right now. 500,000 times 64, that's $32 million a year they're making, and they're still not profitable. But they're very proud of this number today, and they say by the end of 2019, they'll hit a million. So what do you think about this, guys? I read an article about it. They said the next big thing for the Athletic is they're going to open an an England branch, basically, and start covering the Premier League. And that'll be big for them, obviously. But you made a point, though. They're going to make $32 on subscriptions, and they're still not profitable yet. Uh, Eventually, investors want to see profit. Speaking to somebody who worked for a startup that didn't go anywhere, that uh, they want to see some money eventually before they start to keep sinking it in. So uh, this is a good start for them, though. And if they're around a million at the end of the year, like I said, I think profitability, profitability is probably not far around the corner, but they need to get there. Yeah, that's kind of what we settled on when we were talking about in the break. Like This is an encouraging number for sports media in general, partic- obviously particularly for people that work at The Athletic, but you're not out of the woods yet, as Haydad mentioned. So it'll be interesting to see the next step from here. But I would say 500,000 subscribers at this point is more than I would have guessed. So I think that's certainly an encouraging number. Yeah, I agree with that. By the way, uh, a quick update. Robert Kimdichie cleared waivers, so nobody picked him up. That doesn't mean he won't be on a team this year, but... Uh, 
the other 31 NFL teams were given the opportunity to claim him off of waivers, and uh, nobody did that. So no home, at least right now, for Robert Kimdichie, and I think that's that's the first step in the, the end of his career, really. Um, kind of a, a sad story considering his talent and what he could have been versus what he is right now. More coming up on Sports Talk Mississippi. We will have the college football fix coming up at 5 o'clock. A, a debate, not a debate, more of a dilemma facing Clemson in South Carolina and how they are handling a transfer from one school to the other. Would Mississippi be as receptive as South Carolina is on this situation? We'll look at that. We'll look at a new preseason top 25 that has some Mississippi State flavor on it. A whole lot more coming your way. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. So Steve Ballmer, name you may be familiar with one way or the other, the owner of the Clippers. Seems like a goofy guy, like a decent enough guy. He's the one that goes absolutely insane courtside during Clippers games. And if you saw any kind of video or anything from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George's introductory press conference, he's a little, little intense. Clapping and screaming into the microphone, stuff like that. Just goofy guy. And he is going to take that that power that he feels like he's got right now, that energy, and change maybe everything about the Clippers. At least it's on the table right now. They're getting a new arena, so they're going to move out of the Staples Center. I think Inglewood is where they're going to head in 2024, so away from downtown Los Angeles, have their own building. And according funny. To... That's where the old Lakers forum was, was in Inglewood, so... They, they, they still can't get away. <laughs> well, they're going to try their hardest. Apparently, Steve Ballmer is not ruling out changing the logo, changing the colors, and the name of the team itself. He said, quote, we have a once-in-a-lifetime chance to really step up our identity to another level. I don't anticipate making a change, but we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity And that's the kind of thing you somehow do in consultation with your fans. The Clippers are considering changing everything about them when they move into a new arena after they're probably going to win a championship in the next couple of years. So capitalizing on momentum, by changing everything about yourself, he's a brilliant businessman. This doesn't make any sense to me, though. It's... For me, it's just typical Clipper nonsense. It's just <laughs> this guy. This is what they they do to get out of the shadow of the Lakers. You know, who even if the Clippers win a championship, the Lakers are still LA's team. They always will be. There's there's just no changing that. So I mean, you do what you got to do. But I mean, like I I agree with you. It doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'd say they're differentiated pretty well right now, anyway, because one is very structurally organized and sound, and the other's a clown show. But oh. Be that as it may, in a world where the NBA teams change, like I don't, like I don't really, this doesn't really bother me because NBA teams change branding, like it's nothing. I mean, in the past like decade, the Hawks have gone from red and blue to red and yellow. Yeah. Um, that yellow is kinds brutal, of stuff. By the, way. the Charlotte Bobcats have changed mascots again. They were orange and black at one point. Um, I mean, I, who am I? I mean, even the Pelicans, they've changed from the Hornets to the Pelicans and changed colors, and then like. You know, the Phoenix Suns had that weird blue and orange run for a while, and now they're like, or purple, whatever it is. And like, so this happens all the time. I, this doesn't really surprise me, and I don't think it's like, I don't think it'll be that significant. There's something in common with every franchise you mentioned, though. Yeah, no, none of them are 
None have, of them have been it, worth a damn. Right. So they're constantly trying to change branding, I guess, and I don't think it works. By the way, we owe you a Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Plan your weekend around going to the Pearl River Resort. I did that on the Friday before I got married. It was 40 degrees and raining. We still played Dancing Rabbit. Had an awesome day. A really enjoyable round when the weather was terrible. Now imagine when it's as nice as as it is outside right now. Stop by the sports book, the timeout lounge at Pearl River Resort, the Golden Moon Casino. Plan your weekend around it. You can have a spa day for the wife. Go put some money down on some sports for you. Play the slots. Play the amazing golf courses out there. The Pearl River Resort pick of the day is the Dodgers on the road. Plus, or excuse me, minus one and a half in Colorado. I will take the Dodgers in that one. They are a big favorite. The predicted score is six to three. So I'll take them even though they are on the road and the Rockies have not been very good lately. Uh, So I will take the Dodgers with the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Enjoy the weather without football while you've got it. Go play some golf. It is absolutely worth the trip wherever you are in the state of Mississippi. And now, because we do things right here sometimes, you can go lay some money down on some sports as well. So enjoy your round, enjoy the sports book, and enjoy the Dodgers beating up on the Rockies tonight. Plus, excuse me, minus one and a half. I guess. I know, I know you don't like the Dodgers, but come on. They're quite good. It seems like easy money, yeah. Baseball is the only sport going right now. This may be a conversation for later in the week. Even in isolation, I still feel like it's just not generating a pulse. Do you guys feel the same way? It's because there's 162 games. It's kind of like the NBA. It just can't, right? Yeah, NBA regular season doesn't really generate a pulse. It's easier, too, because you have more stars. They more play action. four months before anybody notices in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. The NBA starts in most people's minds on Christmas Day, and even more people even after that. So, I don't know. I think it's just hard. It is hard, but they're still making money, and I guess that is, at the end of the day, the most important part uh, of running a business is they keep making money. Being local is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, if they strike, that's a different story, but that's a conversation for down the road. College Football Fix is next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Welcome into the 5 o'clock hour at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. All guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line, and you can text the show 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. And before we get into the college football fix, I have seen a lot of, I'm going to ask the two Major League Baseball experts in the room here, a lot of Mets slander today. What is going on with the Mets, and why is everybody making fun of them right now? First of all, I need to know who else is on the show, because I don't consider myself a Major League Baseball expert. More so than uh, me. I guess. Um, they traded somebody today, Jason Vargas, to the Phillies. So... You're either buying or selling this time of year, and I don't think they know what they're doing because they, they added they, they Marcus traded Stroman. for Marcus Stroman yesterday, right? And they really want to move Syndergaard, and then they traded Jason Vargas, who is a 
back in rotational borderline kind of not for a guy but because he's been in the bigs for long enough but like borderline starter in major league baseball at this point so i guess like most days they don't really know what they're doing kind of sounds about right yeah that, that feels right for the for the mets tough go of it for uh mickey calloway and that i mean how much is he to blame for all of this I mean, it's it's not a, a dumpster fire, but it's being run by a dumpster fire. I guess it was a dumpster fire before he got there. So, yeah, I, I would say he's a bit more so a puppet than anything else. And I don't mean that like as a dig towards him, but I'm not sure how much control he has. That's uh-huh. kind of the trend with managers in general nowadays. But that's why college coaches are making more money than them in a lot of cases. Yeah, that is. What are we uh, up around a dozen now? Major League Baseball coaches that a handful of college coaches make more money than? I know Mike Bianco makes more than at least five. Dave Van Horn makes what four hundred thousand more now with his new contract than Mike Bianco, so presumably there'd be a couple more in that mix. Probably so, but yeah, just kind of the way things are trending. <coughs> we'll get off Major League Baseball and switch to college football right now. It's time for the college football fix college football fix is driven by ford and your local mississippi ford dealer and what i'm gonna do right now i'm gonna tell you a quick story and then we're gonna debate it a little bit if that's what you want to call it story out of south carolina Former Clemson running back Tavian Feaster. That name might be familiar to you because he was one of the best recruits in all of the country. I think the number one running back in all of the country when he was being uh, going through the recruiting process has now transferred to South Carolina. And that's caused some controversy, at least in the media circles in the state of South Carolina. You have some people, including a radio host, a good one in my hometown, saying that no player should ever transfer from one rival to the other dear lord yeah that's a bit strong so what do you guys think about it one on the surface let's pretend that this is in mississippi let's say that tavian feaster went to ole miss was going to be a backup for his last year but he transferred to mississippi state because they needed a running back no matter where it came from i assume both of you guys because you're rationally minded would understand and be okay with it but how would the fans receive that here is the better question oh horribly if you looked at the last half decade i mean you had media people and and people loosely involved in the investigation in the state act like children over uh, that can you imagine if one player transferred to another school would be yeah just just in just in guys in recruiting flipping from you know not signed just flipping the way those things went down uh, yeah, if there was a transfer, it would be really, it would be really interesting to like sort of pierce the veil, because there's such you know there's state and there's Ole Miss and neither the never the the, the twain shall mate shall meet, but or mate in, in some cases I guess, uh, but you you see this and and then for a player to make that jump, it it, it would be like you know. We hate them. How how can we cheer for this guy? It would be really interesting to see people how they rationalize everything, which I assume is happening in South Carolina. 
I think you should be able to transfer wherever you want. Obviously, I, agree. I, I would have absolutely no problem with it. But I do think it's a different conversation here because these two teams are in the same state, playing the same division. Clemson, South Carolina is a little different because, yes, they play each other every year, but play in two different conferences. That's a good point. But it would be, you know, you think about how players, like I said, the players who, who have uh, flipped have been some of the most hated guys in this rivalry. And to think of a player, you know, I remember it happened in baseball back in the 90s. Uh, Chris, Chris Lauterhouse transferred from Ole Miss to Mississippi State. Um, but I can't I can't remember anything like this. I, I, I know that Bob Tyler's kid played on both sides uh, of the rivalry, but they come back in the 70s, so so much different than, than now. So in, in the social media world, this would be one of the – I'd get a lot of entertainment out of it, I'll put it that way. Tyler on Starkville says he knows it's not football, but Promise Taylor uh, yeah. did the same thing. That that is so dramatically different, though. I mean, yeah. because in in women's basketball, with all due respect, if Mississippi State beat Ole Miss twice a year for the next hundred years, but they lost seventy Egg Bowls, everybody would be pissed off. It's it's just not as important to the fabric of the fanhood. Football takes precedent over anything else. Right. You can dominate in basketball and baseball. But if you're losing on the football field every year, that that is the dominant feeling fabric of the fan base. So let's use like a real life example, just throwing this out there, just throwing this out there, nothing more. If let's say Willie Gay, because he was a guy that also I think he was committed to Ole Miss at one time he too. Flipped, so yeah. he was. If he picked up, left Mississippi State to transfer to Ole Miss, would he be received well? He would be received well at Ole Miss, I think. In the locker because, room, especially, but would the fan would the fan base receive him well? I think I think the the Ole Miss fan base would. The state fan base would be irate. And in and, this and, case, and vice versa, vice versa. If if you know if whoever you know from Ole Miss transferred, the, the state fans would be like, well, you know, he's our guy now. We got to support him. But Ole Miss fans would. How could this possibly have happened? So, yeah, I mean, you're expecting fans to act rational in a in a situation to where it like fandom, I guess, breeds irrationality. So when one guy goes from one to another, like obviously not going to be received well. Clemson fans surprisingly uh, not being too toxic about this because well, they don't care. Yeah, they just want a national title. Yeah, and they have and Travis he Etienne. Was, he was what their third guy. I mean, they have Travis Etienne. Might, it, maybe no might about it. Might be the best back in all of college football. Oh, yeah. No question. If this kid fumbles, though, one time, you could get a lot of conspiracy theories cooking. Oh, gosh. Imagine if he fumbles twice when they're playing Clemson. <laughs> Interesting Never message. Never trust a tiger. I try to tell y'all. Get a text from the 662 that says, With Richard on vacation, the collective IQ of the show is about equal to a family of chimpanzees. That said, who wins more games in 2019, Ole Miss or South Carolina? Um, we all get dumber every time you text into the show, so I guess we can call it even. Um, wow. oh, Do we geez. know who it is? <laughs> nope, but that's fine. Well, you did Jeez. say that they could insult me earlier as we began the show, so that's true. maybe he's just following protocol. Yeah, Thanks, maybe man. so. Yeah, We appreciate uh, you listening, though. Thank you uh, for, for the um, unnecessary insult. Whatever, man. Uh, you do you. Um, <laughs> that's a good question, though, coming from an idiot. <laughs> I, 
Jeez Louise, man. I think South Carolina's schedule is extremely tough. I mean, when you look at their non-conference slate, even the North Carolina may be a little bit down this year in year one under year one under Mac Brown. They still open with a neutral site ACC team. They still have to play Clemson, who's the best team in college football. And out of the West, they get Alabama and they have to go to College Station. They also have to go to Georgia. That schedule is just brutal. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe South Carolina is even the better team, especially with Tavian Feaster, who it's not like he didn't perform like how good of a recruit he was. He was just behind somebody that's better than him, quite frankly. So they could be a better team than Ole Miss, but lose more games, quite simply, because their schedule is just brutal. Yeah. It's funny to see... There are two teams this year playing Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia. They're both in the SEC. That's uh, Texas a and and, uh, and South Carolina. I think I'd still go uh, South Carolina on this, although I agree with everything Borky said about the schedule being difficult, and that's probably what makes this a realistic question and debate. But I think I'd probably still lean South Carolina winning more games. Good text yeah, from the 601 that says, you have to admit, that was kind of funny. It was funny. I had to read it. It uh, it was funny. Then he followed up with Bull Pool in Oxford. Is that his name? Bull Pool? No, that can't be. Well, that'd be dripping in irony if it was. <laughs> we appreciate all of you listening and texting 601-879-4395. More coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. I can hear the jets flying over. That name was familiar to me. Pool, anyway, being somebody's last name. It's a real guy. Ole Miss will see him in week two. Mississippi State will see him later on in the season. Arkansas has a linebacker. I'm not kidding. His name is Bumper, Bumper Pool. Pool. Yeah. Is that his dad or something? Might be. Yeah. Bull Pool. Bull Pool. Well, thank you for listening, uh, by the way, and all of you for texting in. Uh, we've got a bunch of texts. Greg and Nettleton, as always. Uh, we're glad you're here and glad you're listening. Bill and Amory ask, when Richard is back, does the IQ go up or down? Now leaving that up to us. Just depends on the day of the week. Mm. I don't want to answer because I like my paycheck. Well, let's just let it be. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, no, we love Richard. We uh, are excited to get him back, but he's getting a little R&R right now, getting geared up for football season. Uh, Rippy and Haydad had theirs last week. I've got a child on the way, so my R&R will uh, never exist until 18 years from now, as I'm told. There will be we'll get no- there eventually. I will get there eventually. It's great to be with you on this Monday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi. You can text the show if you'd like. If you want to be like Bull Pool in Oxford, you can do so. 601-879-4395. And let's talk some top 25. And this is something that comes every year. Bill Bender is usually first, and uh, he's a good friend of the show, and he does a really good job. I love this top 25. We're not going to do every publication's top 25. We're not going to do CBS's. We're not going to do five. No. But I like Bill, and I love what he did here. Number one, Alabama. Two, Clemson. Three, Georgia. Four, Ohio State. Five, Texas. Whatever. LSU, Florida, Notre Dame, Michigan. Round out your top 10. I'm going to skip a couple. He's got Army at 16, which they're probably not the 16th best team in the country, but they won 11 games a year ago. They had Oklahoma on the ropes, and Michigan has them early in the season. 
Just saying. Keep an eye on that game. Mississippi State, he he has down at 19. And Nebraska, also in the top 25. So let's focus on the Mississippi State aspect of this first. Because, hey, Dad, this is a podcast topic of yours. Despite all of the losses and the narrative locally being... And it's, it is true, and I don't think anybody would disagree that they did underachieve somewhat last year. In spite of that, Bill Bender, the ESPN, FPI, other people still expect Mississippi State, still have some kind of respect level for Mississippi State football, and it's bearing out, especially in the early preseason top 25 polls. Where do you think that's coming from? I don't know. It's a good question. It's one we tried to answer, like you mentioned, on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Um, and it goes back to, I listened to an interview Moorhead did with uh, with Jim Rome while I was on vacation. And what state fans and how they would describe 2018. And, and Rome was, you know, big first year, big debut season for Joe Moorhead. Eight wins and a bowl. I'm just listening to him like, wow, his perception is totally different. And obviously, you know, I live in the maroon and white bubble and he doesn't. So, you know, he doesn't hear from MSU fans every day, and he didn't, you know, watch the games the way that I did. But obviously, nationally, there, you know, there's a belief. And, and when, honestly, when you really look at MSU's schedule, obviously Alabama and LSU are, are going to be better than MSU this year, probably. And I won't say probably, they're going to be better than MSU. And you got tough, you know, Auburn and AM on the road are tough. But beyond that, I mean, State's probably going to be favored in at least seven games, and then the one game I wouldn't be sure about is the is the game at Tennessee, and right now, what is that, a toss-up at worst for, for, for MSU? So, you know, there, there's a path to eight, and eight, and eight wins there, and that's probably going to put you in the top 25 at the end of the season, but, you've, you know, you've got to be able to do it, and, you know, you got to see improvement from, from Joe Moorhead as an offensive play caller. Tommy Stevens has to deliver. You get the, There's a lot of question marks, is what, I guess what I'm trying to get at there, but I mean, I guess when you really want to look at it from, you know, a thousand feet, you can see where some of this is coming from. Probably also, in part, a testament to Dan Mullen as well. Because, I mean, Joe Moorhead's been able to recruit, we'll call it one and a half recruiting classes, because he didn't get a full cycle in year one. And even though Mississippi State lost some pieces, I mean, it's not like the Cupboards Bear either. So the program's right. left in pretty good shape. And I don't, I'm not taking away from Moorhead. Whatever they do this year is going to be his responsibility and his credit. But Mississippi State has elevated respect nationally in part because of what Dan Mullen was able to do there. Yeah, no, no question about that. And you know, it's been a long process. You know, I, I think about Dak Prescott's junior and senior year when State was picked uh, sixth and seventh in the West, and I was, just, you know. It, it had never happened before that the all-SEC quarterback would be a, a last-place team, and it didn't happen under Dak. So, you know, it's been a, a bit of a process. We talked about that article that Barrett Sali wrote a few weeks ago about how State is perennially underranked by the SEC Media Days crowd. So maybe, you know, it's finally, you know, it's it's been that process, and finally maybe it's finally built. I just think it, I find it humorous almost that it comes after a year that almost everybody would say was a disappointing one for Mississippi State. Any thoughts on that, Rippy? I would agree. I mean, I definitely see where the, um, like, why they're ranked there. I mean, it makes sense. It was an eight win team last year that was a couple plays away from winning a couple more games. Still pretty good defense and sounds like some optimism at quarterback with Stevens coming in. So, um, that and how many games do you, how many state games do you think Jim Rome watched last year? Over, under 
One and a half. Yeah, I was going to set it right at one and a half. Because obviously, state, I mean, SEC team, you play a lot of nationally televised games. He probably caught one or two, but, you know. I would guess Alabama. Yeah. Auburn, maybe? I don't even remember when that state-Auburn game was. I'm just, I, I'm not just learning. National guys do not watch college football. Particularly ones out west. Too much going right. on. As you learned this past week. Yeah, a lot going on. Place is like a, it's a bubble. It's not a real world. It's like a snow globe without snow. It's a really good description. That's what yeah, kind of crazy. popped into it's, my brain as I was whipping that boat through the channel. It really is crazy how few, like, of, of your national sports guys don't do college football for whatever reason. They just don't. Which doesn't make sense because, yes, the NFL is king. We all know it. But my, it's football, then the well, NBA, not no NFL, NBA, college football. It is NFL, college football, NBA in terms of viewership. Yeah. So there's no excuse for a guy like Stephen A. Smith to come on the air and talk about Dwayne Haskins, the runner. You know, it's just it's inexcusable. <laughs> As part of your job is to know that. You, you know, know, someone pointed out, and I I'm, I'm not going to give proper credit for this because I don't remember who it was, but someone pointed out with that thing is like, I think Stephen A. Smith has these slip ups because he spends so much time talking about sports. As he, I'm not sure he has much time to actually watch any. <laughs> And I was like, honestly, the more and more you think about it, they use that guy for everything. He's earning his salary. Like, there might be something to that. I mean, the guy presumably sleeps some. But I, don't yeah, that, I don't know if that guy can sleep. You yeah. don't have that much energy in sleep. He probably yells in his sleep. Um, but but yeah. his dreams are wild. Is he married? That poor wife. I talk in my sleep. It's gibberish. It's nonsense. But I talk in my sleep. Could you imagine having Stephen A.? Talk in his sleep, which really is just yelling and screaming. The kind of stuff that he would say that would keep you up at night. You could probably find some pretty cool internet gifts of Stephen A. Smith sleeping. <laughs> you can certainly find them from Mike Francesca. <laughs> but it is interesting, the lack of, like, like you would think a guy with a platform like Calhurt would pay closer attention to college football and things like that. And he well, does. See, he might be paying more attention than almost anybody else. And he's not paying much, but... I would agree Compared with Compared to, like, Stephen A. And, and Skip Bayless, yeah. But it's easier Cowherd, to... You know. go, go ahead. Sorry, hey, Ed. Well, I was like, Cowherd, from what I, the little bit I've listened to him, he seems to at least have some idea about college football. A lot more than, like I said, Stephen A. or Skip or yeah. Max Kellerman or any of those guys. I, I really... I, I went to college to be a writer and turned my inspiration into radio because of Colin Cowherd because we did not pay for the dorm TV package because we figured we'd never be watching it anyway and all we had was ESPNU and like five other channels and Cowherd that was when he was with ESPN was on every morning so my roommate and I we would just throw Cowherd on every single day that's all we did was so that turned me into radio I love that guy but he completely lost me the day he said that Alabama does not have to Cheat in recruiting, basically, because they're so good they don't have to do that, and players just want to go there for free. And his sources told him that. Ever since then, I knew that you have no sourcing in college football. You're not locked in at all. Listening to you talk college football is just an exercise in futility because you're not locked in if you have, if you think that that is actually true. That's not true. Yeah, it's just a completely indefensible stance. I would 100% agree with that. I don't know how you get on national radio and say that with a straight face, but then again, 
little different world out there. Same dude that, again, I really like him, but same guy that said uh, Tony Romo was never going to be good because he wore his hat backwards. And that good yeah. quarterbacks wear their hats forwards. More coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Becky was a beauty from South I thought this was an Alabama onion headline at first, but it turns out it's absolutely real. Roger Goodell and three officials from the NFC Championship game that featured the blown call. The non-pass interference, the non-helmet-to-helmet call that went against, or that did not go against the LA Rams, excuse me, on a hit on Tommy Lee Lewis. Those four people are going to have to go to court. They're going to be questioned as part of a lawsuit involving that no call. A Louisiana judge ordered that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and three officials from that title game will be questioned under oath in September about that no call that sent the LA Rams to the Super Bowl. Attorney Antonio Lamont, if I'm saying that correctly, who filed the lawsuit uh, for $75,000 in damages that will be donated to charity over the failure to flag a pass interference in helmet-to-helmet hit against the Rams or against the Saints. The no-call came at the critical point in the game, and if the call, the flag would have been thrown, the Saints probably go to the Super Bowl. State Civil Court District Judge Nicole Shepard of, wait for it, New Orleans, ruled earlier this month that Lamont's lawsuit could proceed. She also ruled that Lamont can request documents and ask questions of NFL officials. She said today that definitions will take place in September. She also set a date of August 22nd for the next hearing in the lawsuit. Other suits dealing with the blown call have wound up in federal court where they have failed, but since they filed in a local civil district court in New Orleans, Roger Goodell and three referees are going to be subpoenaed and asked to appear and testify on the record in federal court, Rippy about a blown call in a football game. Well, the odds of them actually showing up in a courtroom to do this are what? 0%, 0.1%. But you got to follow the law, don't you? I, yeah, but I figure like the, but the the victory in all of this is in this headline alone, right? Like this is a power play by this guy. Getting the commissioner of the NFL like summons to do something. It doesn't specify what this other date in August is meant for. If you're a lawyer listening, you know, tell us exactly what that could mean and what Roger Goodell's play here is to get out of it. Because according to this article written by the AP, he he has to show up. That's what they're saying. But as you mentioned, I mean, he's a $50 million a year man. He's got some kind of attorney that can probably get him out of it. But my question is, exactly what angle are they going to take? I know we've got lawyers that listen to this show because if we use incorrect legal terminology, you let us know. So tell me right now, how can Roger Goodell get out of having to appear in the state civil district court to to face Nicole Shepard, the judge out of New Orleans? How can he get out of it? I have no idea. It just kind of feels like he'll be able to. But this article is saying that He's going to get subpoenaed, and they're going to have to show up for questioning. So help me out here is what I'm asking. I have no idea. That doesn't make Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It seems a little ridiculous. It is, but it's hilarious. And it perfectly encapsulates what just did 
completely irrational appetite this country has for football. True. You don't, you don't mess with New Orleans, man. That's very true. And New Orleans just kind of personifies that to the extreme. Not even I don't even really mean it in a bad way. I think it's funny. Text from the 662, you could sell pay-per-view tickets to that hearing. Oh, yeah. For $500 and you'd still get people to buy it to watch Roger Goodell get grilled by a lawyer under oath. I bet he can weasel right out of that, though. I bet he's got the perfect no comment to be able to say it a thousand different ways, prepared and ready to go for any situation. Yeah, he just got a revolver of cliches that he'll throw out over and over again until the back. Can we go get lunch and get out of here? It's not a conspiracy. It's not. It's it's not. It's, it's just not. incompetence. I want this to happen, though. So oh, I Texas, want it to happen, yeah. 601-879-4395. Is this set in stone? Will Roger Goodell have to show up to testify, or he can, or can he wiggle his way out of this? My complete uneducated, ignorant opinion is no. But I would love for some lawyer to text in and say, actually, he's going to have to do this, because they would definitely know better. Speaking of that, so Quinn sent us a picture on the text line of of the cleats that Drew Brees was wearing, and they were they were red cleats in training camp, Louis Vuitton cleats with the word Supreme written across them, and everybody was making a big deal about them. I, I had no idea what that meant or how expensive they would be, whatever. It turns out Supreme is some kind of brand that gets away with selling $3,000 t-shirts. He sends us a screenshot of a black t-shirt that has a red rectangle, very small, with just the word Supreme written in it that is being sold for $3,000. I found another one that is a white t-shirt with a little rectangle that has really ugly camouflage, not like, it's like yellow camouflage, with the word Supreme written in it, selling for $1,150 on the Supreme website. Imagine what that would go for in San Francisco. I talk to people about the. I've talked to people about this for the very small circle of people in the world that like control the tides in terms of what's fashionable, what's not. Could really have some fun with some people if they wanted to screw with people, because you could put anything out there, and if a select number of people wear it, it becomes fashionable. I mean, this is literally a black T-shirt with the word Supreme on it. I'm telling you, if someone who, uh, like in New York who's like in this circle put underwear on their head, millions of people would do it within months. <laughs> I agree. We should start a brand. We all, I don't all think we're do in is, that, that, that circle that Rippy's talking about. I don't know. All you have to do is give it a fancy name and let like 10 notable people wear it. We should call it something stupid like unilateral. I like that. And sell it for $1,500 online. We could make millions. All right, this is blowing my mind. I like Everybody was making fun or making a big deal about him wearing these shoes. I have no idea what Supreme is. But I'm glad I don't. I mean, I I could not imagine spending a mortgage payment on a T-shirt, no matter how much money I had. I could be a millionaire and never wear Supreme a day in my life, just out of principle. $1,500 T-shirt. We get a text here that says the NFL and the officials should be held accountable. And Quinn says... I wish they would have the hearing on the Jumbotron in the Superdome and sell tickets. Be sold out. If that was the only way to watch, they'd be sold out. He said they should be sued more often also from the 601. I'm down. I, I mean, there is uh, – that's 
that's the thing here. There's so much at stake. I think in all professional sports, really, and this is a conversation that can span days and weeks if we really wanted it to about the future of of officiating and and getting calls right and replay review and stuff in sports because the money's only getting bigger. The TV deals and merchandise and gambling, now that it's going to become a national thing, and it's on its way to becoming a national thing, there's so much on the line, there's so much at stake, and at what point does a league like the NFL decide we're going to get everything right no matter what? Human element be damned. We can't have what happened in the NFC Championship game happen again. Everything will be either reviewed in some capacity. There will be some kind of oversight because there's so much money at stake that allowing one person, one average Joe who is an accountant by day and a referee on Sundays, make a decision that directly impacts actual economies. It's not far off. That day is not far off, I would think. If there's a sport that could do it, it's the NFL in terms of like taking the time to get it right. Because the NFL is kind of the model for getting in and people out of a game, right? Everything's right at, what, three hours? Yeah. Like, pretty short halftime? Like, they're pretty efficient in their game pace. It's not like college football where you're complaining about four-hour games. The large dog tweets at us and says, if I get Supreme on my shirt, it's because the pizza fell on it. (laughs) I mean, I can't get over that. We live in a different world than some people. Oh, that, All that, of that's, you that's listening, a true story. We live in a completely different world than some people. I bet not a single person listening to this show right now, and there's a lot of you, believe it or not, despite what some people will tell you on Twitter, we have a lot of good and dedicated listeners, and there's a lot of them as well, uh, a lot more than you tell your minions on Twitter. None of you would ever spend $3,000 on a T-shirt. I'd stake my life on that. Unless The Rock is listening, I can't think of one. That might be a decent segment one day. It's like, what's the most, the dumbest, quote-unquote, because this is such a relative term, expensive purchase you've ever made? Uh, we're going to do that tomorrow. Okay, let's Mark do that your tomorrow. calendars yeah, tomorrow. The, the dumbest, most expensive thing you ever bought. And expen- you can make your own definition of expensive. Like, there's no threshold. I had a child. Does that count? I have two. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we're going to do that on tomorrow's show. The dumbest... We can expand it to or expand it to anything, really. The dumbest purchase you've ever made. That was a, that was a substantial financial purchase. The dumbest thing you've ever bought. I can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow. Be fun, yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. One more time with you on this Monday afternoon. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy with you. Be thinking on that. The dumbest purchase you ever made. That'll be a lot of fun tomorrow. We'll be right back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.